Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. So as Pastor Courtney said, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for about three weeks now. So we, we talked about the Holy Spirit as a person, then we talked about the kind of person he is. And then last week, we talked about how he comes to dwell in us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit baptism. Now, I've been pastoring a long time, and a lot of times I've, I've seen that I can talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit as a person, the kind of person he is, and people are like, this is awesome. And then you go, well, now we're going to talk about Holy Spirit baptism. I go, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's where it gets weird. Any, anybody either had that thought or talked to somebody who had that thought? Yeah. Listen, I get it. And I'm not about to get really weird, and I'm probably not going to start flopping on the floor. I'm 99.9% sure that's not about to happen in the next 30 minutes. Here's what I want to do. I want to dispel two quick myths about Holy Spirit baptism. And then I want to walk you through the scripture and show you what it is. And then next week, we're going to talk together about how you receive Holy Spirit baptism. So uh, if, if you're getting really nervous, like, okay, John's going to talk to me for, for about 30 minutes, and then he's going to ask me to do something, all I'm going to ask you to do is what you've been doing for the last four weeks. Continue to pray, welcome Holy Spirit, and follow his leading. Is that fair? Can we do that? Okay. Myth number one. Holy Spirit baptism is not for me. It's for those people. Whatever those people means to you. I am... I am not a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Scripture teaches. Holy Spirit baptism is for everyone. Say everyone. You're part of everyone. How do I know this? Because on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, the very first Holy Spirit baptism, and Peter stood up to explain what was going on, he said, each of you must repent for your sins and turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. First Holy Spirit baptism, people say what's going on. Peter says this is what it is. We'll get to that in a second. And then he says, and this, what it is, is for everybody. Now, here's here's the second myth that I want to dispel. I've heard this one a lot. Holy Spirit baptism is speaking in tongues. No. Holy Spirit baptism is not speaking in tongues. Holy Spirit baptism is Holy Spirit baptism. Speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the Spirit that are available to people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it is not one and the same. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so much broader than the expression of a particular gift of the Spirit. I want to walk you through that in just a second. But first, I want to answer the question, what is Holy Spirit baptism? Holy Spirit baptism is something that the Father promised. It's something that Jesus provided that empowers his people to live as Jesus did. Any of you guys remember these bracelets? They were just all the rage for a while. WWJD. What did they mean? What would Jesus, it is a great question to ask. What would Jesus do? But it's a pointless question to ask if you don't have the power to walk out the answer to that question. The purpose of Holy Spirit baptism is to help us not only answer this question, but then live out the answer publicly. 
if I know what Jesus did or would do in my place, but I can't do it, that's a pretty frustrating place to be. Whatever Jesus would do, he would do it in the baptism and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a story. Can I tell you a story? Last week, I said we were going to school. This week, I'm just going to tell you a story. So if like you did everything you could to just stay dialed in last week, take a deep breath. This week is way easier. Maybe not for me, but definitely for you. Okay. I want to talk to you about the God story. Every story that you ever read has got a hero. It's a title character, and it's their job to move the plot of the story forward. And throughout all of Israel's history, the story of God, God had always played the role of the hero of that story. And every time Israel forgot that God was the hero of the story, things went really south for them. God would have to remind them time and time again that he was the hero of the story. And one of the ways he would do that is he would move upon a particular person and he would allow them to arise to play the hero's role. You read the Old Testament and you find people like like Deborah or Esther or Joshua or Moses, people who stepped out on the stage, played the role of the hero, although God remained the primary hero. They rose to positions of power or prominence whenever Israel was in need. And God moved through these heroes to move his story forward. These were people like Saul, right? Israel's first king. And the way scripture describes how God enables them to step into the story as a hero is really important. This is what Samuel says about Saul. It says, Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. At that time, the time when you have to walk in this role, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. You will prophesy with him. You will be changed into a different person. And after these signs take place, do what must be done for God is with you. Saul, something's going to happen. God's going to come upon you in a unique way, and you're going to be able to do something you couldn't do prior. David, David was Israel's greatest king and experienced something similar. Samuel again goes to anoint him. And as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So God, the ultimate hero in the story, would move that story forward through men and women and would do it by imparting his own spirit to them to empower them to do something they were not able to do before. You with me? Because we're setting a pattern here. He would come upon them, Scripture says. He would come upon specific people at a specific time to do a specific thing. Now, you fast forward to the Gospels, and Jesus arrives. And Jesus follows the same pattern as the heroes of the Old Testament. Like Saul and David, he has an assignment. There's something God wants him to do. Like Saul and David, he is available, he's willing. But also like Saul and David, Jesus is unable to fulfill his role as a hero of the story or someone who's going to move God's story forward until something happens. Luke 3 provides the backstory. Now, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Bit of a wild man. If you remember the story, lives out in the wilderness, eats honey and locusts, he wears robes of hair, probably a really sketchy looking guy but an amazing preacher. And he's become so powerful 
and so popular, excuse me, that, that towns are emptying. So many people are coming out to hear him and respond to his message that people start asking him, are you the Messiah? We've been waiting for the Messiah. You preach powerfully. Guys are coming out. Could you be him? And John has got to be like, hey, guys, slow your roll. Calm down. It's not me. I'm not the Messiah. However, he says, there is one who is coming, and when he comes, there's going to be a remarkable difference between me and him. See, I'm baptizing you guys in water, but when the Messiah comes, he's going to baptize you with fire. Weird. Like, if you ever talk to somebody and they say, Holy Spirit, baptism, is, is, it sounds weird. It sounded weird for a long time. It sounded weird to people when John the Baptist was talking. We can look at this, uh, from this side of history and go, well, of course, he was talking about the Holy Spirit baptism, but it hadn't happened yet. So for a first century Jew to hear the Messiah was going to come and he was going to baptize you in fire would have been really confusing. Fire, we talked about last week, was understood to represent the presence of God. And so John was making the claim that there was going to come a time when the Messiah would arrive and he would not simply baptize them in water. He would baptize them in the very presence of God, like Saul like David. Hold that thought. Because the next day, Jesus shows up. He walks down into the water of the River Jordan where John is and says, baptize me. And then you have one of the first family arguments recorded in the Gospels. His cousin, John the Baptist, is like, I'm not going to baptize you. You baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. John says, no, you baptize me. I know who you are. And Jesus says, no, you. Jesus is good at winning family arguments. So Jesus wins the argument. John baptizes him. And Luke records that as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends, comes upon Jesus. Now, there are other things that happen in that encounter as well as, you know, what God has to say about loving Jesus. But for our conversation this morning, this is the most important. Like those before him, when the Spirit of God comes to rest on Jesus this way, He's empowered to live out his assignment to move the story of God forward. He is going to be able to do things that he had not been able to do before. He's going to be able to represent God to the world around him in a way that he had not been prior to the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon him. And you, you may know the rest of the story. He, he, after he's baptized, he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting, temptation. And, and at the end of 40 days... He returns back over the Jordan River, and Luke has this to say. He says, Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports of him spread quickly throughout the whole region. The word power, the Greek word power, you may have heard, is the word dunamis. That, power, that word means power, strength, or ability. So Luke is making the point that after he's baptized and the Holy Spirit rests upon him, he goes out into the wilderness, he comes back filled with the Holy Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit's strength, and the Holy Spirit's ability. And he stands up in the synagogue and begins to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the transformation is so complete, people are asking themselves, who is this? It looks like Joseph's son, but it doesn't feel like Joseph's son. He looks like Joseph's son, but he doesn't sound like Joseph's son. When the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, the transformation was so dynamic that people 
couldn't help but witness, witness it, notice it. And for the next three and a half years, Jesus lives out a prophetic message in word and in action. That prophetic message is God has come near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he does it so powerfully. One scholar says that Jesus effectively eradicated illness from the region of Palestine for three and a half years. He is speaking the word of God and he is demonstrating the power of God. Telling people God has broken into our reality in a unique and a powerful way. And then one day, it's the last week of Jesus' life. The disciples don't know it. Jesus does. He's talking to the disciples. And he has this remarkable, probably really confusing conversation with them. I tell you the truth, he says in John 14, 12. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. Put yourself in the disciple seat for a second. Hey, guys. Um... I got some news for you. You've spent three and a half years watching me do incredible things. I've healed the sick, raised the dead, opened blind eyes, preached the word of God, been able to argue with the Pharisees, um, had intimate relationship with the Father. I've always known what to do, what to say, and where to go. And the region of Palestine is completely different because of the last three and a half years I've spent here. Um, I'm going away, uh, but don't sweat it. Don't get worried about it because since I'm going away, you're going to do even greater things than the things I have done. Have you ever had a coach set the bar and you thought they set it a little too high? I'm Peter. I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I think you're pretty awesome. You walked on water. I tried. I sank. Um, And now I'm supposed to exceed what I've seen you do. And the reason I'm going to do that is because you're not going to be here to coach me anymore. Jesus, what did you eat? Because that just sounds weird. You and I know from our conversations that Jesus was saying, because he was leaving, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, that is what was going to enable them to do the greater things. Jesus is saying to them, what I've started, you're going to multiply. Where I have built kingdom inroads, you are going to bring, build superhighways. Where I have brought thousands to the Father, you will bring millions, billions looking forward into history because I'm leaving. Then Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. Three days later, he's resurrected. The disciples have a number of different encounters with him. And one day, one day they're hiding in a room. And they're hiding in the room, John says, because they're afraid of the Jews. Those who crucified Jesus, they're afraid they're now going to come for them. And as they're hiding behind these locked doors, probably listening to, listen to you know, footsteps coming, what's going to happen? Jesus is like, ta-da, and he appears in the room, right? Probably scares the bananas out of them. So, I mean, it's an amazing entrance from like, we're all hiding, and oh, Jesus is here. And, and here's what he says. Peace be with you. Probably had to start with that because he scared everybody. Then he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. 
So here's what he's saying. I've got a purpose for you, and you can't accomplish it without the Holy Spirit. So he's back to the greater things. The Father sent me. Guys, now I'm going to send you. And he breathes on them says, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe when he, said, when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, that was the moment where they were regenerated. They were born again. The Holy Spirit came to live within them. Why do I believe that? Because God breathed life into Adam, gave his spirit, and Adam came to life. But here's the problem. They don't go anywhere, which is remarkable because Jesus just said, I'm sending you. So they're hiding behind locked doors because they're afraid. Jesus shows up, says, I'm sending you like the Father sent me. Breathe on them, receive the Holy Spirit. They don't go anywhere. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John says later that a week later, they're still hiding behind locked doors. So they have been joined to the Holy Spirit as we are at, at, at salvation, but there was something yet to come. Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised. You've heard me speak about it. John baptized with water. Remember, he's going back to John the Baptist. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates of the times the father has set by his own authority. However, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What happened to Jesus at the Jordan River? The Holy Spirit came upon him. And what did he do after the Holy Spirit came upon him? He was a witness throughout all of Palestine of the goodness of God and the fact that he was presently breaking in among people. Luke said, Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Dunamis, strength, power, ability. Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive dunamis, strength, power, ability, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in response to your waiting in Jerusalem. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He gives them this, here's what's going to happen, and then he, he disappears. Because the greater things we were to do we're dependent on him going to the Father. That brings us to Pentecost. You tracking with me so far? Okay. All right. Just want to make sure we're doing okay. Pacing's all right. I get super excited sometimes, and I'm really excited today. So if, if I start moving too fast for you to follow, just be like, I'll be all right with that. So now it's Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the feast days that the people of Israel would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate. It commemorated the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the original covenant. That day when Moses climbed up Mount Sinai and the glory of God came down as fire and Moses remained in the presence of God for 40 days, came down so transformed, people said, put a veil over your face. We cannot handle looking at you anymore. This is what this particular feast celebrates. And so each year, on the, the day before the Feast of Pentecost, tens of thousands of people would walk through the city to the temple. And they would arrive at the temple. They were bringing their sacrifices. And they would bring them to the priests so the priests could inspect them to make sure they were actually sacrifices that were pure, that were without blemish. 
And then when the first stars began to shine at night on Pentecost Eve, the, the, chief, the, the priest would blow these silver trumpets to announce to the city Pentecost had begun. People would travel back out of the city to wherever they were camped and prepare to come back in in the morning when the temple opened at 9 o'clock. Now the disciples, about 140 of them, men and women together, had found a place to hang out. Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Father in Jerusalem. So they are in Jerusalem, in a room, and they are waiting. Sometime that morning, when the day of Pentecost came, Acts 2.1, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men who are all speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? 140 people praying together in a room. And suddenly into that room, there is an inbreaking of the sound of a mighty rushing wind and the appearance of fire. All throughout Israel's history, these were signs of God's presence. It was a mighty wind that God sent in Genesis 8 to dry up the waters so Noah could land on dry land. In Genesis 10, as God is going toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, with plague after plague, it's a mighty wind that blows in the plague of locusts. And in Exodus 14, as the people of Israel stand before the Red Sea with the army behind them, not knowing what they're going to do, Moses stands out in front of the Red Sea, raises his staff, and nothing happens. Charlton Heston, sorry, it's not how it happened. Read the story. He raises his staff... And he turns around and he goes back to his tent. And all night long, a wind blows. And when they get up in the morning, the Red Sea is parted and they walk across on dry land. A mighty wind means God is present. The same with fire. The fire of God would fall to consume his enemies. The fire of God fell on Mount Sinai where Moses was with the giving of the law. As Israel traveled, the the tabernacle had a pillar of fire over it by night. And when, when you unpack the language, it, it would suggest that everybody at the same time in that room heard a sound from heaven that seemed to be coming at them like, like the gusting of a mighty wind. And, and Luke would suggest they, they felt it arrive like a wind and they were enveloped by it. And then in the center of a room, there was a bright light like a fire, like a pillar of fire in the center of the room. And from that central pillar, many pillars begin to break off and come to rest upon or above the heads of each person in that room. And as the light or the fire would come to rest on one, they would suddenly be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would begin to speak a language they had not learned as the Holy Spirit directed them. This was a distribution of the very Spirit of God himself. This had never happened since the fall. 
They had received the Holy Spirit in John 19, been born again. But there was something secondary and subsequent, another encounter with the Spirit of God that was going to launch them now out of that upper room into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. This was the birth of the church. You and I are here together this morning, worshiping, fellowshipping, and studying the Word of God because of what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It empowered people to live as witnesses of the goodness of God, and they carried that message with them wherever they went. They were suddenly able to do what they couldn't do before. It's why a group of people went from hiding in the upper room to spilling out into the city. It, It seems as if there were crowds that were coming to the temple for for it to open it at 9 o'clock for the festivities to begin. And, and some of these people hear this cacophony of sound coming from a rooftop where people are praising God in a multitude of languages. And they stopped and were like, what the heck is going on? And Peter probably didn't speak from that balcony because the crowd wouldn't have been large enough. Acts 2 says 3,000 people get saved that day. And the closest place for him to really have space to almost have an amphitheater to teach people would have been on the the southern steps of the temple, which is probably where he stood. And he begins to explain what is happening. He is saying, and I'll read it to you, that the, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on all people meant that ordinary people were going to be transformed into a prophetic community. Let me read it to you. In the last days, God says, so he starts quoting the prophet Joel, who was a really obscure prophet that most of Jewish teachers didn't know what to do with. Like, we know God said it. We know he was a prophet. I have no idea what he's talking about. And Peter gets up and goes, I know what he's talking about. Let me tell you. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon turn to blood before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Yikes. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to unpack a little bit about the the, the miracle of tongues next week. I'm not going to dive into it just for the sake of time this morning. But I do want us to understand together what Peter is saying God has just initiated. He reaches back to the prophet Joel to explain. And he says, listen, the arrival of the Spirit of God, which is what has just happened, and you're, you're, you're experiencing it as you're hearing people talk to you about the goodnesses of God, goodness of God in languages that they don't know. He says, this arrival of the Spirit of God has ushered in a period of time called the last days. Now, the last days has kind of turned into a scary phrase. We're living in the land day, last days. I mean, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. The last days is not a negative thing. I want to submit to you that living in the last days is an incredible opportunity. What what does it mean to be in the last days? 
Here's what it means. It's a period of time that we are presently living in. We know it began on the day of Pentecost. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. We know when it started. We know that they will end at some point in time. We just don't know when. Joel and Peter refer to it as the great and glorious day of the Lord. And we know that the goal in this period of time is that people call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Peter says, God has opened a finite period of time, finite window of time, and he says three things are going to happen. Here's the first one. A prophetic community is going to be formed. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and they will prophesy. Now, there have been prophets in Israel's history before. There had been individual prophets. There had even been schools of prophets. But there had never been in the history of humanity a general community of prophets. And now we have a group of men and women who've come out from behind closed doors carrying Jesus with them, equipped with a prophetic gift. What does it mean that they've been equipped with a prophetic gift? It's really quite simple. It means they see from God's perspective. It means they hear from God's perspective. And it means they speak from God's perspective. They bring God's perspective into people's reality. This is what Jesus did. The kingdom of God is here right now. God is present to heal and restore. Prophecy, it's not telling somebody who they're going to marry and when they're going to marry them. This is me stepping back from a line. I almost went there, and I'm not going to. I almost said something I was going to have to spend way too much time explaining. Prophecy in the New Testament is simply hearing what God is saying and communicating that to other people in language they understand. This is what Jesus did. People were far from God, so Jesus took upon himself human flesh and came to represent people to Jesus who had become so encumbered by rules restrictions, and regulations, that the harder they work to get close to God, the further away they felt. If, if you want a picture of what it means to hear, see, and speak from God's perspective, cast your mind back about 30 minutes to Pastor Courtney standing up and saying, here's what I think God wants to say to us this morning. That's a prophetic gift. Well, she didn't tell me who I was going to marry. Nope. She didn't tell me the winning lotto numbers. Nope. She didn't tell me when Jesus was coming down. Nope. Why do you think that is? Because that's not what Jesus wanted to say to us this morning. That's, as, that's how natural and normal it's meant to be in the lives of a spirit-filled community. And that's what the disciples did as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So he says, in the last days, a prophetic community is formed. He says, the world falls apart. Anybody want to give me an amen on that one a little bit? Yeah, I can see a little bit. Joel says, blood, fire, and smoke appear in heaven and earth. That's not literal. That's prophetic Old Testament scripture for the world falls apart. So the Spirit of God comes down. He opens a window in time. He fills his people with his spirit. He builds a prophetic community. The world falls apart. There's heartache and fear everywhere. But God plants, catch this, God plants a prophetic community in the middle of a world that is falling apart so we can speak for him. 
And what happens? The third thing, people call on the name of the Lord. When their world is falling apart, when they begin to cry out in their heart, we're, we're present to speak words of life and hope and healing. Because we are the people of God who are his witnesses, who are walking out our assignment, stepping into our role as many heroes in the story of God. This is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's why Jesus said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. You will be able to live out your God-given assignment with the same degree of confidence, power, and effectiveness that Jesus did. Well, John, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and not everybody I talk to wants to be born again. You're in good company. They tried to kill Jesus. Okay? So, so to do what Jesus did or greater things doesn't mean that we're 100% effective in everything we do. It doesn't mean that everyone responds to what we have to say. They didn't do that with Jesus. It does mean that we have postured and positioned ourselves in such a way that we understand that God has intentionally planted us wherever we are. Jerry Cook calls this strategic placement. You're not in Lompoc or Orcutt or Santa Maria by accident. You're not in your place of employment by accident. It may feel haphazard to you, but the psalmist says every day was ordained for you before one of them came to be. God in his infinite wisdom has you exactly where he wants you so he can fill you with his spirit that you might be present and able to respond to people whose worlds are falling apart. Do you know the easiest way to respond to people whose worlds are falling apart? Jerry Cook said this as well. He said, ask the Jesus question. Do you know what the Jesus question was? It wasn't, are you ready to repent for your sin? It wasn't, do you realize what you've done wrong? The Jesus question, what can I do for you? I want to see. Okay. If you're willing, would you cleanse me? I'm willing. What do you need? God has placed his people in a broken world to speak for him and to represent him when their world's falling apart. Next week, we're going to talk about the how. All right, John, I hear you. I'm I'm at least interested. How do I do it? We talk about that next week. And we're going to create space in our worship night as well for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time or to be refreshed. Ephesians 5.18 says, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's pretty awesome. But here's, here's your homework for this week. God has placed you somewhere. Are you open for business? Sign flipped open or is a sign flipped closed? Can God use you to move his story forward? If the answer is yes, then we need the Holy Spirit. What would Jesus do? I don't know, but I know he'd do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit baptism, it's not weird. It's essential. It's foundational. And it was prophesied a long, long time ago. Can I pray for you? Before I do, let me, let me tell you this. Um, if you have any questions, one of my favorite things to do in the whole world is to talk to people about Jesus and to explain to the best of my ability through Scripture when people come with questions. If, if something I've said has made you go, well, what about, shoot me an email. Let's, let's talk. I, hear me say I'm available to you. If you don't have any questions, that's also great. It makes me feel like I did a really good job. But I know you've got questions. Jesus, we are your people called by your name. It is such an incredible privilege to understand that we have been planted in a community intentionally by the Spirit of God for such a time as this. And so we pray again, welcome Holy Spirit. Lord, would you use us? Would you encourage us? Where necessary and start with me, would you correct us? Because we want to be effective representatives of you. Lord, any place where confusion or even fear may be coming to rest upon people because, because we've somehow been conditioned to believe that if we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we have to do things we don't want to do. God, just dispel that fear now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let us live fully into our assignment as the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.